Hello and welcome to the British Sitcom History Podcast. My name is Alan, with me as always is Gareth. Hello, Tossers. And the language of the 90s there, as we <laughs> as we skip back today to the mid-90s to review Game On. Yeah, sorry, that was a rude way of me to start for me to start the podcast, wasn't it? But yeah, it's kind of in keeping with the tone of Game On, I think. <laughs> Rude, yeah. Is that, yeah. Is, that a, is that a summing up? Rude, as in a little bit risque, but also rude, as in quite unpleasant to each other. <laughs> yeah. So, game on. One of the more obscure things we're looking at this series, but definitely in our wheelhouse, our generation, yeah. I suppose. Ninety-five, the first series went out. You would have been a young man, uh, very much in in keeping with the uh, with the people in the show. Yeah, I mean, I was 20 in 1995, so I'm kind of a similar age. And then a couple of years later, moved to London and lived with friends in a, in a, f- a flat, not unlike this, really. But mm. it's interesting you say this is one of the more obscure, one of the more obscure sitcoms that we've looked at, because to me, it's, it, it, it's a real touchstone of my youth. And I guess that's just mm. about my place in time, isn't it? But what's yeah. really interesting, we're obviously going to get into more detail later, but there's a, there's a cast change in Game On. So we've got three series, um, we've got three main stars, and then in ser- at the end of series one, Ben Chaplin leaves, he goes to Break America, and uh, mm. he's replaced by Neil Stook. And obviously, we'll, we'll talk about that in a lot more detail, but my memory of Game On is Ben Chaplin. Now, yeah. I was vaguely aware that they got rid of him and Neil Stook had come in, and I think I'd maybe seen a couple of episodes, but what this is telling me is that the first series of Game On is is what I remember, and I suspect, looking mm. at the dates, that's because I'd sort of moved out and, you know, had a different lifestyle by the time the second series came out. I stopped yeah. watching telly, basically. So, yeah, it, it was interesting to me watching this all again, and we watched the whole, you know, there's uh, three series, we watched all of them. Uh, it was interesting watching this again to see that, that quite significant change in, in tone between yeah. series one and series two and three. Obviously, we've got the cast change, but it's not just a different person doing the same thing. It feels like the character changes as well. Yeah, I think we'll get into that. Yeah, well, what's your, what's your memory of Game On? You're nine years younger than me. How, how do you remember it? I definitely remember it. I think I watched it at the time. I would have been a teenager, 13, 14, that kind of range. So not quite the same recognition factor, <laughs> but it was just funny and silly and laddish. And in the mid-90s, that was okay. Uh, but I remember watching it. I remember really enjoying it. I had good memories of it. Rewatching it now, it's funny how much it's aged. Mm. So, like, it's only 25 years. Well, it feels really 25 aged. years, but that's quite a long time, I guess, when you really come down to it. But there's some references, and I think Series 1 more than the uh, the later series has, has got much more kind of cultural signifiers mm-hmm. of the 90s. Yeah, music and film references, yeah. So it was very interesting to watch it again. Uh, and I think overall I enjoyed it, but I'm sure I'll find things to criticise. <laughs> well, it's interesting. You, you say it's dated, and I, I do agree with you there. And it is. it was very much of its time. You know, when we were deciding what to watch this series, we, we wanted to watch a 90s sitcom. And not just a sitcom that was made in the 1990s, but, you know, a 90s sitcom. And I, I, yeah. basically we came down to Men Behaving Badly or Game On as the most 90s of sitcoms. And, uh, you know, having not watched Men Behaving Badly for quite a while either, it's going to struggle to be more 90s than this. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll be comparing this to Men Behaving Badly at some point later on as well. It feels yeah. like that's an obvious kind of touchstone. Whereas Game On was much more... I have seen uh, it been referred to as a cult hit. Okay. It was a bit more of an underground thing. One for the students, I guess. <laughs> uh, despite hating students itself, as I'm mm-hmm. sure. 
Well, I tell you what, the, the plan for the podcast is we are going to, as we always do, we're going to review an episode. And the episode that we've picked is Series 2, Episode 2. Ready for the title? Slime Surfers and Jism Monkeys. Nice. Catchy. But before we get into Series 2, what I thought would be a good thing to do, why don't we talk about Series 1 first and talk about Ben Chaplin, and then we can talk about the changes, probably by going through that episode a, a little later on. So... Alan, set up game on for us. Series one, as it starts, what's the what's the setup? So it's a it's a flat share in Battersea. Mm-hmm. Three young people. The the age is a bit variable depending on what they say, but they're supposed to be like early to mid twenties. Yeah, and they are all originally from Hearn Bay, yeah. which uh, for anyone who doesn't know, it's sort of on the uh, east coast. It's it's where people go to die, and <laughs> they they've grown up there. And Matt and Martin, the two men there, they are childhood friends. They're at school together. Mandy is a friend of Martin's older sister. So she's a couple of years older, but she's also known them since they were kids. And then as we develop in the series, we get a little bit more information. What we find out is that Matt's parents died in a car accident. And using the money and the inheritance he got, he bought this flat. And Mm -hmm. so he can live, he lives there for free, essentially. And the other two are living with him, paying him rent. Uh, and so because they're making their lives in London, in the big city. And I get, like, like you were saying, Gareth, that's exactly what you did pretty much. You went down to London mm-hmm. to find your fortune. And so many people did that. And, and especially in the nineties, yep. uh, it was more affordable than it is now uh, sure. to do that. It was a lot less affordable than Yorkshire was, even in 1997 mm-hmm. when I did it. But yes, I think it's a different dimension now. What's interesting, you setting it all up like that. What was it? I found that that wasn't obvious. It's quite good that they sort of revealed information as it as it went along. I mean, it's fairly obvious that we've got these three people who are living together and that they're not romantically linked. Yeah, it's just a young people's flat share. And then we get a little bit of background information as it goes along, which I think is quite nice. There is definitely episodes out of order here. Oh, really? Well, a very specific example I can think of is we see Matt's surfboard has a big iron mark on it. And he's yeah. annoyed because Mandy burned it with the iron. And then three episodes later, that happens in the episode. Uh, and she tells him that she's done that, and he's like, oh, my God. So, like, that's definitely just a very specific example of continuity that's out of whack. But generally speaking, they're fairly episodic. Uh, but they'd obviously switch something around in that first series for the sake of... Uh, yeah, some... I'm putting this down to uh, gradual exposition and quite clever filmmaking. And it's just that they've rand- randomised the order of the episodes. <laughs> possibly, possibly. <laughs> but yeah, they don't they don't go to great pains to explain it first off. You know, it's just some young people in a flat share. You know, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. And as we sort of understand the characters, you know, they're very broadly drawn, aren't they? So... Matthew, who, as we know, owns the flat, doesn't have to work and never leaves the flat. And we sort of discover that he's got a kind of agoraphobia and he won't go outside. But he's a horrible man. He's a, he's a really nasty piece of work. He, he, he bullies the other two members of the household. You know, he's got financial control over them and he's just a nasty piece of work. Morning, Mark. Morning, Matt. Going surfing? No. Oh. Myself going to that poxy bank. Have to, Matt. It's called work. Don't get witty with me, mate, or I'll break your arms. I was watching that. Can't stand that ugly ginger tosso. He's right up his own arse. Then we've got Martin, who, as you say, is his childhood friend. I assume Matthew's been bullying Martin since they were, you know, three years old. And that is very much the pattern. So, you know, he does as he's told. He goes out and he works, and he's very much a sort of loser. He's a ginger tosser, and, and, you know, he's, he's very crudely sketched as bit of a loser. I'll tell you something else I noticed in, in the in the shift from series one to two. 
I don't remember at any point in series one, uh, Martin's ginger hair being mentioned in any way. Oh, really? So I reckon that series was written before they cast it. Ah, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, 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 it's interesting you say that because I didn't notice that. I obviously called him a ginger tosser, which I didn't, that's not coming from me. That's coming from the script. But yeah, so that <laughs> didn't happen until the second series. That's interesting. I'm, that's I, I didn't go back and sort of double check that, but I'm sure there's not, it's certainly it's not as common. It's, that's it's funny. certainly uh, something they really gear up for series two. So now our third member of the, uh, of the flat is Mandy, who is, mm-hmm. well, this is where we get a bit 90s about it. You know, she's basically <laughs> just, uh, what's the word? <laughs> I'm trying not to use a. I'm, I'm trying to use a, a, a more scientific word. She's she's very profligate in her attentions to male admirers. <laughs> yeah, well done. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Well, you know, this is very much set in the nineties. Ladette culture was a thing. Ginger Spice went on the Brit Awards and flashed her fanny. And you know, this is this. Was, it was all right. It was all right for girls to behave like boys, even though it becomes fairly obvious that Mandy's deeply unhappy and mm-hmm. desperately trying to fill a need that she can't fulfil. Yeah, I think Mandy's a really interesting character mm. because, like you say, there was this ladette culture coming through, which you know, it, it, for all its flaws, was about empowering women yep. <laughs> uh, to do do what they wanted to do. And Mandy, as she develops, is a really interesting character because she has this, she, she's sort of sick of being seen as just a pretty face. She wants mm-hmm. to be respected for her intelligence and her work ethic, et cetera, et cetera. But she's also a right old slag and she loves it. <laughs> she, loves, <laughs> she loves getting shagged. That is basically um, the way it's written, yeah. And it's, it's, I think it's a great, in, uh, interesting character, actually, a little bit more of a developed character that she's not just one or the other. Uh, she yeah. is conflicted, as most people are in real life. You know, she works, she's she's kind of a, a, a temp slash secretary, wants to be a writer. But every time she seems to get an opportunity, it turns out that the, the boss is just interested in her body. We have a, a, an example is Dave Hill, who we've seen many times appear yeah. in sitcoms, who's a, he plays a northern writer, and he's a, <laughs> quite a caricature. He, he wants her to help him with his research, and obviously it turns out that he just wants to research her pants. Well, I do need some research doing on my new book. What, a job, do you mean? Yeah, job. Not as your secretary, though, right? No, like I said, you'd be doing research, you'd be researcher like researcher. Uh-huh. Well, how do you know I'd be any good? You've suffered. I've suffered. We'll get on, I know it. It's funny how that stuff is played off in a very 90s way. It's not like, oh my god, this is absolutely disgraceful behaviour, you can't behave like that. Mm. It is very much like, oh, another one just trying to shag me. Yeah. Oh, well, I actually shagged him, what's wrong with me? Eh? Why yeah. do I do it? So it's a bit dated in that sense, but I, I really like the way that Mandy is portrayed, like the the way that the character mm-hmm. develops and her sort of internal conflict with that, and that kind of idea that it, you know you don't just have to kind of go, oh no, sex is I'm not going to be used for sex. It's wrong. Like no, I actually like sex. I do actually yeah. like it. So I want to enjoy that. I want to enjoy that side of my life. As I said, when we first meet these characters, they're very crudely drawn. They're very very broad stereotypes, but. As time passes, we get backstory and we get some kind of... Um, they expand on why they are these characters. And certainly that's best done with Mandy. I don't think it's very mm. well done with Martin. We don't really get much background on him, but... We, we'll talk about this later, actually. We'll talk about the writers, but this is written by a woman. Mm-hmm. I think that shows in the Mandy character, particularly, uh, apart from anything else. 
Uh, but we'll get into that later. So the, the three actors in the first series, we've got Samantha Janus, now Samantha Womack, who is Mandy. Mm-hmm. Matthew Cottle, who plays Martin. And then Ben Chaplin, who plays Matthew. Now, we'll talk about the other mm. two as we go further on. But seeing as Ben Chaplin's only in this first series, why don't we, why don't we have a little focus on Ben Chaplin? Yeah, Ben Chaplin. Nothing too dramatic in his background. You know, middle class, drama school, etc. And he was building a career throughout the early 90s, just mm. generally getting work. Game On was certainly his most notable TV role at the time. It, what suddenly made him a bit more of a recognisable face. And Game On wasn't like this huge, massive hit. It was a, mm. you know, BBC Two kind of later mm. show, late night show. Aim for the students and the young people, you know. Uh, but in mind, in, in 1995, so it's the same year that the first series went out, he was nominated for a, an Olivier Award um, oh. for a, a role he'd done in a in a in a play on the West End. So, you know, he was on the rise, obviously. He's clearly had something to show. An, an, an actor, not, not, not from the world of comedy, he was an actor. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And for whatever reason, yes, it got him noticed. And dare I say, his, he had a certain look... Uh, he well, just listen, right. I, I don't uh, want to objectify the... the guy, but it's the 90s, so I'm going to. He's yeah. a really handsome guy. Like, he is a what we might call a conventionally good-looking man. He looks like a model. Yeah, but it's, it's not even that he's like, oh, my God, look at that guy. He's He feels like... We, we talked a little bit about this on our Miranda episode with Tom Ellis, who also yeah. went to Break America. It, it, he's kind of handsome in a in a still realistic and attainable way. Uh, it's it's not quite just ridiculous like model. He, he just he's just TV handsome, you know. I don't know um, about that, mate. So... I think I disagree with that. I think he's quite dreamy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not just the look though. He's got the attitude, and and let's face it. What I mostly know him from is this and playing uh, Matt here. But yeah. he's brooding and dark, and and, yes. and we're going to talk about the changes in that character. But yes. that character is dangerous. That character is a bad boy, and yes. it's quite sexy. There's something very sexy <laughs> yeah. about that. Yeah. In a way that Neil Stuke, God bless him, is never going to have. <laughs> Agreed. I don't want to be unkind because Neil Stuke's not an ugly man, but he's he's not. No, yeah. It's a he's different not, thing. He's not in the same league. <laughs> Neil Stuke is not getting targeted to play a romantic lead in a, in a big Hollywood film opposite Uma Thurman and uh, Ginny Garofalo, which is what happened to Ben Chaplin. He got headhunted, essentially, to go and do a, an American film called The Truth About Cats and Dogs. Yeah. Now, I remember that as a. Like, I remember the name of it, and you sent me a trailer, which I watched, and obviously I've never seen the film. But yeah, it's a, Janine Garofalo wants to, wants to go out with Ben Chaplin, but she's, she's dreadfully ugly, as you know, Janine Garofalo yeah, I mean, is like she's a Janine Garofalo the- <laughs> hideous, disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> and therefore she has to pretend her uh, friend Uma Thurman, I don't know, rubbish. It's Serena de Bergerac, basically, you know, it's oh, where the, right, okay. the, right. the one, the one that actually falls in love with her personality, and, but she's, she's telling the pretty one what to say, and so, you know. I didn't catch that from the uh, trailer. Yeah, yeah. Presumably, at the end, they, he falls in love with the the f- disgusting, short, Janine fat, Gruffler. and ugly one, <laughs> the, the Hollywood star <laughs> Janine Gruffler. Um Yeah, and the the film seemed to do okay, but his career didn't take off. Well, I know I, I know that he'd gone to America, and I remember him being in the Thin Red Line, which is a war film. Yep. But you know, so it wasn't like a big breakout role or anything. And then I, I, I basically disappeared without a trace. I haven't, I haven't heard of him f- for years. I remember him being in a, a Sky drama a few years ago, but that, that's basically it. It's kind of true, but also a little bit unfair. You know, you look at his CV, yeah, yeah, he's sure working. You know, he's, he's, and he stayed in America for several years and was doing plenty of work and not exactly just like nothing he worked. De- decent roles, but nothing star-making and nothing to like, 
crazy. But, you know, he he seems to have retained a good reputation as an actor, and he was nominated for another Olivier Award in 2003 for, for another play. So, you know, he's doing theatre work as well. He seems to have returned to TV the last sort of 10 years or so, yeah, doing more British stuff again. Yeah. And he, he was in a show called Press, which was about these two kind of tabloid newspapers that were battling each other, and you saw both sides of the newspaper offices. Oh, yes. Um, no, that does ring a bell. Yes, he played a sort of, um, like, the Sun editor, didn't he? He was a kind of, yeah. it wasn't the Sun, but that's exactly what it was supposed to be. The Red Yes, the I red do remember that, one. yes. Yeah, well, I worked on that, so I, I've seen oh. him in action in person, yeah. and uh, oh, okay. Like he was really good. The scene I I was in with he was doing this kind of impassioned sort of speech to the to the team in his newspaper office. He was giving them all kind of tub thumping stuff, and mm. he just did it. He had to do it like eighteen times, just from different angles, different camera angle. We're doing this now, and and he just knocked it out of the park every time. Maintained the passion, and, and that's good. That's like in terms of TV acting, where you just have to do take after take after take. That's that's what you want. Um, so cool. yeah, solid professional. Still got a sort of devastatingly handsome uh, style of him even though he's about he's in his 50s now but yeah, yeah, <laughs> still still got it okay but but yeah the main thing to take from all that is this sort of dark brooding vibe that he brings to mm. the character and i think series 1 in general has a darker vibe there were several times watching series 1 where it, it feels really uncomfortable like mm. it feels like that flat is a toxic environment Particularly for Mandy, it feels like a dangerous place for her to be. And, and mm. also for Martin, who's perhaps not in, in, at risk in quite the same way, but it feels like he is, well, it feels like a coercive relationship. Mm. It, toxic is the word there. If we think of toxic masculinity, that's what mm. Matt is. Matt is an embodiment of toxic masculinity. Whereas the second Matt is kind of pathetic we we understand yes. that this is a a superficial yes. veneer he's pretending to be this great guy because he's actually pathetic and it's yes. very obvious with ben chaplin matt it's not so it's obvious. not obvious because you think if he if he went out and kind of addressed the world he could get attention from women he could make men think this is a great way to live mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i don't know if you're aware of a man called andrew tate who yeah, is yeah, a sort of embodiment I've, of toxic I have masculinity. a teenage boy. We've, we've had that talk, yes. And I think there's there's certain people that have these traits and for whatever reason can put them across in a way that seems appealing to yeah, perhaps mm. teenage boys, uh, to people who don't know any better. And that's how Matt, Ben Chaplin Matt, felt to me. It, this one felt yeah, like that's a good, that's a good this comparison. is dangerous. This guy could be a cult leader. Like that's how yes. there's something about him that draws you in, but yeah, he's dangerous. They just think about get away with it because Mandy kind of has none of it. He'll he'll say like, "Look, you owe me six months' rent, but if you shag me, I'll you know I'll let it go." And she mm-hmm. obviously finds a way around that. And and but she never countenances it. Really, she just sort of shuts him down. And I, so it's yeah. we we really need that strong woman there to give us a bit of balance. Mm-hmm. Uh, because yeah, mm-hmm. Martin is completely um, overawed by him. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Well, we we sort of started to talk about the differences there in series two, and we. We'll, We'll move that way in a minute, but just before, let's. Well, while we're on the subject of series one, one of the other changes, which you already mentioned, was there were a lot of contemporary cultural references in that first series. Mm. A lot of uh, music choices, some film references. In fact, I, I started writing them down. The first couple of episodes, I thought, oh, this is a thing. I'll write this down and make a list. And really, interestingly, the list kind of ended uh, with series one. So there's a whole yeah. load of, sort of Britpop songs that are used either. Well, they're all sort of done diegetically, so either he's listening to them or he's singing. Yeah along yeah, to them, that Manitry kind of thing. Creatures. Some of my very favourite songs of the time, and also Girls and Boys by Blur, 
Um, <laughs> but then they also do, you know, they do the classic, they do like film references. So he, he cuts Martin's Teddy's ear off and like the Reservoir Dogs yeah, thing. He's he does a lot of impressions, driver thing. Actually, yeah. yeah, yeah. So so that's like set up as Matt's home alone all day and he's just occupying himself and we see some of that. It's very contemporary that. It, it, it really roots it in a time and place. But there, it is, it's, it, that's again, that's the character he is, is a certain kind of wanker who is like, yeah, taxi driver, that's cool. Yep. Reservoir Dogs cuts his ear off, that's so cool. There was a certain yes. type in the mid-90s, and like, hey, I love Reservoir Dogs, I love a taxi driver, but those are not the characters to aspire to be. Those are not the people you Reservoir want to look Dogs, up to. The moment in Reservoir Dogs that I always think about is when Tim Roth is escaped from the heist and the civilian shoots him and he kills her. And that moment where he's like, oh my God, what have I done? Mm. That's the moment in Reservoir Dogs, not the cutting the bloody ear off. I'm not seven. <laughs> <laughs> we, we're not the, uh, we're not the British Reservoir Dogs podcast. So <laughs> never mind. So yeah, before we move to series two, just one more thing about this ladette culture that we had. I think the reason why it hit me so hard about how misogynistic this was, this this toxic masculinity, is that, you know, I was that age and we kind of thought we were so progressive. I think all we did was we were just the same, but we convinced girls they loved it. (laughs) I think that's what, I think that's what Ladette culture was. (laughs) <laughs> you know, he's, he, we see we see Matt. He's, he's reading Loaded, and I I used to read Loaded. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I, that 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 sort of it was it was very painful to watch sometimes. I'm I'm certainly not going to say I was as bad as Matt Malone, but but there was a couple of notes of familiarity where I thought a bit oh, too okay. close to the bow on that one. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we you 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 keep bringing up ladette culture uh, as if it was not preceded by lad culture. <laughs> yeah, sure, of course. <laughs> yeah, of course. which is obviously where it's come from, but. I, I think Ladette culture really took hold with the Spice Girls. You mentioned them earlier. I think that's that was the sort of the mm-hmm. the, the the mainstream push of it. This is this is before that. The, the first series, at least, of Game On, it predates the Spice Girls. So I think we're still very much in lad culture here. We're we're still in men behaving badly level of uh, of culture. And let's not forget, we're not getting to men behaving badly, but there are two very strong female characters in men behaving badly who are constantly the betters of the two yes. slightly idiotic male characters. You know, there's, even that show is sort of self-puncturing, but yeah. you know, it, it, it displays a lifestyle that was sort of perfectly acceptable, I guess, and you know, not especially toxic for its by its own standards. Let me give you one example that we've not mentioned before we we move on to our episode. One day when the other two are out at work, Matt goes into Mandy's bedroom and he's he's going through her knicker drawer. And then when she comes home from work, he is asleep in her bed in her knickers. Yeah. Is that crossing a line, is it? That's a restraining <laughs> order, not a not a clip around the ear. Well, and obviously what, what she gets out of it is that she gets off the six months worth of rent that she's due. She just blackmails him for it, basically. Which, yeah. six months of rent, £2,000, by the way. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, yeah, definitely couldn't get that these days. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, so it kind of ends with her being, you know, the winner, the victor in that situation, and she use she's using his weaknesses against himself against him. But yeah, well, that's a that's a creepy thing to do. <laughs> it's a bit creepy, isn't it? All right, so let's move on to uh, our episode then. So we're going to go into series two, and we've actually picked the second episode. And I'm going to say it again: slime surfers and jism monkeys. And what's happened since the first series, in the, in, in the first episode that we've missed of series two, a couple of our characters have, have had slight changes. Mainly Martin has got a girlfriend, and that's mm-hmm. uh, completely changed his outlook. You know, he's now, he's now getting a shag. 
as yeah. he puts it. And also, for reasons I can't quite remember, Mandy has decided to go celibate. Yeah, because she's just too busy shagging everyone. She's sick of it. Meanwhile, Matthew has uh, undergone the character change of being a different actor. And as we're yeah. going to discuss, he's, you know, the character has changed a little bit. Mm. Let's talk about the new actor then. Neil, St- well, f- first question, pronunciation corner. I'm saying mm. Stuke, you're saying Stuke. No, you're saying Stuke, I'm saying Stuke. I can't no, remember. No, I'd say Stuke. What do we think? You're saying Stuke, I'm saying Stuke. Well, yeah, I'll tell you why, because... I'm- my American friend who keeps saying, oh, let's go on the tube, and I have to correct it to tube. So it's, <laughs> I think it's got to be Stuke, right? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I think that's a good enough reason. I'm going to change my... Uh... <laughs> Stuke it is. Okay. So yeah, well, tell us a little bit about the actor, Neil Stuke, and then we'll, we'll get into the episode. Yeah, so Neil Stuke obviously brought on to replace uh, uh, the much-loved character here. He was already 30 by this point, he, so a fair number of credits in his, his background, but not not a specialist in comedy by any means. The, the only other sitcom, major sitcom role on his CV here was the Reggie Perrin remake they did with Martin Clunes. So that was oh, later, yeah, that was okay. 2009, 2010, in which he played the boss. He played the I didn't get CJ. where I am today by replacing other actors okay. uh, role. So uh-huh. I, I don't think he's actually called CJ. It might be a different character name, but you know, the same character, yeah. Yes. And his other his other major regular work is in the show Silk. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's right. not a sitcom. I've never but, seen yeah, that. It's, it's I, sort I, of legal I'm aware drama. Of it, yeah. And he's working, you know, he, he, he's work, worked regularly but without great fanfare, there's not there's not an obvious comedy connection there. But I think he re- brings a real comedic energy to this role, and that's why it changes the character so yeah. so dramatically. So we open our episode then with a close up on Martin, mm-hmm. and Martin is mooning over the fact that he's now got a girlfriend. Mm. So Martin's gone from this sad little puppy to getting a girlfriend to being incredibly annoying about it. <laughs> When he, he finally gets this girlfriend, I'm really happy for him. And then literally one episode later, I'm, I, you know, I wanted to leave him because I'm sick of it. I've got a girlfriend. <laughs> I've got a girlfriend and she loves me. Do us a favour, mate. I've got a girlfriend and she loves me and we shack. <laughs> Shut, Shut up, Martin. Martin. Which is exactly how his housemates feel about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is playing out with him mooning on about how how good he is at shagging and uh, how in love he is and all of these things, and he's constantly going on about it. And they're rolling their eyes and telling him to shut up. It's just not great telly, is it? Like you know, the point <laughs> is he's being boring about it. Yeah, that, yeah, he is being boring about it. Well, I, I like it. I think it, it reminded me of being, well, he's obviously a bit older, but you know, when you're 16 and you get your first girlfriend and you're just like, you're obsessed with it. And it's like, that's that mentality that they're embodying. I do get it. I do get it. But I just think it went on too long. Well, this episode is where it's really nailing it in. It's, this yeah. is all he does. Like actually Martin's journey in this, this episode is quite uh, slim because he's just yes. going on about getting shagged all the time. And they even bring Claire in for 30 seconds just just to kind of come in and go, mm. yeah, we've been having a shag. I noticed that. I noticed that, that she just appears for that brief scene. And I, yeah. I, I wasn't really sure why, what was the point of that, you know? Yeah. She got paid for it, I guess. Well, yeah, maybe exactly. Was, that's, that's what maybe I mean. she was like, contracted for six episodes. <laughs> yes, perhaps. perhaps <laughs> yes. So Martin goes off to for a shag, and Mandy is left with Matt, and they're watching telly, having a beer, and there's there's this sort of character shift. So previously, it's been Mandy going out shagging. Hmm. It feels really wrong. So I feel like Austin Powers using that word, but that is the <laughs> word they use. So I'm going with it. 
Man, usually Mandy's off shagging and Martin is Matthew's wingman. And it, Mandy suddenly realizes, oh my goodness, I've I've become Martin. Yeah. Well, do you know what? I want to want to pick up on something there. Use of alcohol because they yeah they're having a beer and yeah. everything. I found in the show in general the way they approached alcohol was very interesting. Okay. And again, to com- compare and contrast with something like men behaving badly, which is like their entire raison d'etre is come on from work, get, get some beers open, and you just get slowly drunk on the settee or you go to the pub. Yes. And talk about Kylie's ass. We don't get alcohol used in the same way here. A lot of the time, they're not drinking alcohol at all. And then, no. so this that this scene here in this episode jumped out to me a little bit because they do. And then there's a later scene where they open the fridge and it's completely full of beer. But you don't see Matt drinking that often and you never see him drunk. And no, Mandy and Martin, Martin gets drunk once and makes some terrible decisions. And Mandy tends to make bad decisions when she's drunk as well. And it very much yeah. is like getting drunk has negative consequences. It doesn't really yes. hammer it home. But I think it's perhaps just a writing device. We need our character to do something a little bit foolish that they shouldn't do. Let's make them drunk in order to make that more believable. Mm. Drinking is not celebrated, I guess, is what I'm saying, which feels at odds with that lad culture. Yeah. One of Matthew's constant refrains is, cup of tea, Martin. And he's like, Martin has to go and make him a cup of tea. Tea is the thing. And God knows I can relate to that. Um, But yeah, that's a really interesting observation. I hadn't noticed that. It's an interesting observation. And I I wonder, it doesn't feel like a deliberate thing. It doesn't feel like something they're trying to focus on. It just feels like, what it feels like is the writer is not in that kind of, yeah, we go and go to the pub every night and get drunk kind of vibe. And so they haven't put that in. But then it's like, oh no, you go out with your friends and you get, you have a few wines and get pissed and then sleep with someone you probably shouldn't have. You know, it's that kind of (laughs) attitude to drink. But that isn't the lad culture attitude to drink but yeah we do so then we get matt and mandy uh just sat together somewhat unusually and matt opens up a bit mandy sort of pushes him a little bit and perhaps he feels more comfortable talking to her than he would to martin he has to keep up this kind of facade of masculinity to martin because it's all he's got it's the only power he's got i think we're both a bit sick really don't you i mean you're not able to go out and everything and me with my work hang-ups and my sex hang-ups and my suicidal mood swings. Speak for yourself, mate. There's nothing wrong with me. Just hate all that outside shit, that's all. (laughs) It's interesting, this scene, because she says, oh, we're just a couple of sad bastards, aren't we, really? And then she's like, no, no, really. You are pathetic. <laughs> like paraphrasing slightly, but she goes like, "You're pathetic. Yeah. You can't. You can't even leave the house." And now I'm here, yeah. stuck with you. And he just like he he hasn't got any argument against it when he's actually confronted it with it like that. It's like too a bit too true. She asked him why he doesn't go out, and he said, "Well, I just can't breathe when I think about going out." You know, it is a bit of a bonding moment. But then obviously he moves in for a shag because they've had a slight bonding moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it sort of ruins the moment. But the, the scene ends with Matthew offering to go and make the tea. Which is uh, is quite a moment. I think that might be the She's first so time she's ever done it. Yeah, but but that that demonstrates that, that there has been something of a breakthrough. And it, it, one of the most memorable episodes of series one is when the the Ben Chaplin Matt does leave the flat uh, and he he joins a band on the in the yes. flat upstairs and then ends up having to do a gig where he goes out to a pub and they do it they do a pub gig. He's a yeah. singer. Uh, but because he's so terrified, he's just sort of screaming <laughs> into the mic. Yeah. And it gets reviewed as a sort of avant-garde art performance, yeah, that's right. <laughs> which is quite that's funny. Right. But I just bring that up because it, we've seen what the character feels. Like, he, he really struggles to get outside. And even with the much cooler version of Matt, 
he still shows that weakness. He still yeah. has that terrible, terrible weakness. And with the comedy version of Matt, uh, it's not. It's played a much more for laughs, and it does get developed further in this series. We'll talk about that in a second. But right here, right now, we're setting up in the next scene where Mandy talks to Martin. We're setting up her bringing in a friend of hers who is a some mm-hmm. sort of therapist who can, might be able to help. Well, let me tell you my notes for this next scene. So oh, yeah. we open with Martin and. These are the three notes I've made. Martin is mooning about his girlfriend's calves. Mandy is really bored of this. I know how she feels. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, you're right. The meat of this scene is Mandy being worried about Matt. Despite him being an absolute horror, she mm. is genuinely worried about him. And she's decided she's going to get her friend Jason involved. You know, my friend Jason, the psychologist that's never been mentioned before. <laughs> oh, and yeah. he's gay as well. But don't tell Matthew. That probably won't come up. <laughs> so we've got very uh very clunky setup of this character jason so he's going to come in and help matt with his agoraphobia but we can't tell him that he's a psychologist because he won't have that so what are we going to tell him smash cut two so you're mandy's long lost cousin who's been living in australia for 10 years with his girlfriend <laughs> yeah <laughs> i really like this it's like a meta it was joke. very funny it was a good because edit, they yeah. smash cut it's like if we're going to deliver a really over-the-top expositionally line, let's make it a joke. It, it, it did work really well as a gag. And yeah, it does slightly break the fourth wall almost. It is just slightly yeah, meta yeah. gag, but in a way that it's, works. It worked so really just, well. It worked really well. Fine, yeah, yeah. So there's the four of them now. There's the three of our flatmates plus Jason. And uh, Martin's going out. <laughs> she does deliver this line quite well. I'll be off then. Shagging. <laughs> <laughs> Which actually made me laugh, even though I was annoyed with that bit of plot line. I, uh, that did make me laugh. It's good timing. <laughs> but but interestingly, they start to. Uh, Jason starts talking about Australia, the great outdoors, and Matt starts freaking out. This is new. He's now freaking out just by talk of outside, which is like, okay, I'm not sure that's how agoraphobia works, but fair enough. Well, they've they've had to ramp it up a bit for the for the sake of the scene, exactly. haven't they? Just to just to really hammer it home. In case you've never seen the show before. <laughs> Let's let's talk about Jason a little bit here. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about homosexuality uh, in yeah. the ni- in the mid nineties because Jason here is obviously he's introduced as oh he's gay that's why Mandy hasn't shagged him. But we, what we get in late, as we go through this episode is a sort of strange flirtation between the two where Matt may mm-hmm. not be quite aware of it and Jason fancies him but we'll come into the details of that but let's let's talk about the general expressions of homosexuality in game on and and the attitudes towards it remember what i was saying earlier about misogyny and this kind of ringing a little bit too close to home for me for me in the 90s we thought we were absolutely cool with homosexuality you know it's absolutely Mm -hmm. fine no problem Uh, yeah some of my best friends are gay (laughs) all Mm -hmm. fine but mm-hmm. now I look at sort of my son's generation and it really is just normal now. Whereas with us, it was like, well, it's fine. <laughs> I mean, mm. it's fine. Well, that, that's totally um, cool and fine with me because, you know, if, if that's what you want to do, then that's what you want to do. And if that's the way you feel, then that's fine. You know, I, I think gay people being um, gay is, is absolutely fine and they should be as gay as they want if they want. And I've got no problem with that whatsoever. Which I guess was better than a generation earlier when it wasn't fine. Yeah. But it was still, I think it was still seen as different. Uh, Yeah. I think it's one of those generational things. It's going to, we're looking back 25 years here. That's quite a long time, really, in terms of our social progression. But it, it, well, it is, but, but not when you've lived it. It doesn't feel like a long time. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, I mean, look, from when this episode went out, 25 years before that was the early 70s, you know, it's a exactly. totally different exactly. thing. I think you sort of see that comparison. We can talk about this from a sociological point of view, but basically my, my problem here is that I feel old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think overall, the, in in this, in terms of the show, it, it, I think what they do with Matt, and, and over the course of this series, and with the Jason character particularly, yeah. it's it's challenging his ideas of you yes. know homosexuality. Let's let's jump forward slightly. Let's just jump forward yeah, to where it. where they kiss. Yes. So they're they're basically they've they've sort of bonded, and Jason's purpose of being here is to talk to. He's basically to act as a psychologist without him knowing he's a bit of psychologist, and get him talking, doing a bit of aversion therapy, get him thinking about going outside, that sort of thing. But in the meantime, Jason has fallen in love with Matt because who wouldn't? Well, the the medical ethics uh, involved there is well, exactly. There's a a lot. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, well, let's cut forward to that scene. They're they're on Matt's bed. And they're talking, you know, they're, they're doing this aversion therapy. Matt is being very defensively misogynistic. Like he's being alpha male in, in a yeah. way that's sort yeah. of turned up to 11. In a totally performative way that, you know, you can see right through, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so he says, he decides that he's going to... Jason's saying, well, you know, I'm not really... I've not really had much experience with girls. And he's trying to sort of say, well, I'm gay, but without saying it. <laughs> uh, and Matt completely misinterprets that and decides he'll help Jason with girls. By, and he gives him he gives him his sort of killer lines and his killer looks, and then he moves in and kisses him. You want me? You cannot resist me. <laughs> and somehow that thought transfers into their head, and their eyes go all soft, and that's when you know it's the moment to kiss them. <laughs> Yeah, two screams from the t- the audience, the live audience. Screams, literal <laughs> screams from a studio audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A great line. Jason says, "Oh, can you show me again?" <laughs> this is funny. Yeah, yeah. And then, but then Matt sort of withdraws, and he. What I but quite he doesn't like recoil. He doesn't. There's not. There's not yeah. like a big shock recoil. Oh, oh my god. Yeah, which would be the obvious choice, I think, wouldn't it? Yeah, but he does like. Oh, anyone would think we're a couple of ass bandits. <laughs> yeah, but then what's the next line? The next line is, "Hey." We could have a bit of a wrestle if you want. <laughs> Which to me suggests that Matt is kind of into this. Well, this so this, as it goes on, basically the Jason character is in for a few episodes and this story develops slightly. And Matt never quite gets, you know, uh, the <laughs> what's going on really. And then the other characters are sort of trying to talk to Matt about, we're like, look, you know, uh, being bisexual, that's fine. You know, that's perfectly normal. It's like, it's not bisexual, we're just mates. You know, we just have a, like to have a bit of a naked wrestle. That's nothing wrong with that. Uh, yeah. It's funny in a 90s way and it's huge denial. And then, and, yeah. you know, the, the, the scenario plays out with Jason is accidentally outed. So Matt discovers he's, he's gay. This guy's gay. And he just can't cope with that because that would be acknowledging his feelings. Yeah. And so we have this, you know, they, Jason leaves and he says, well, you know, if, if I leave now, you'll never speak to me again. And he, you know, he, he allows, he brushes him off and allows him to go. Despite the fact you can tell he has got feelings. Mm. Even if it is just as this is someone he's enjoyed spending time with and he's had yeah. a friend and someone that he's not been alone for a while. Uh, in terms of that cultural progression, you know, having that storyline, having someone struggling to deal with a potentially being bisexual, even though everyone around them says, look, it's fine, is not something you would have done 10 years earlier no. in the mid 80s. And I think you could do this storyline now 
with that same character. If you had a character in a show now who's a bit of a lad and doesn't quite, you know, he's a bit of, oh, no, I'm a masculine guy. And then he's, like, confronted by the idea that, oh, you know, maybe a bit, like, maybe I can be attracted mm-hmm. to another man. I think it would play out in relatively the same way. And yeah. that's one way where this hasn't aged. Because it feels no, like in this, in this sense, in this sense, what it's doing with this story is challenging the status quo. Yeah. It's it's challenging that kind of like this is what the '90s is saying, but let's push it a bit. Let's push it, and so it feels like it's uh, a little bit ahead of its time. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. But come back next time where we will discuss the other actors involved and the writers as well. That's quite an interesting little pairing there. In the meantime, if you'd like to get in touch, we're on the social medias at BritcomPod, where we post little tidbits and pictures and clips and all sorts of stuff. So come along and join the conversation there. You can also find us on YouTube, where we post video accompaniments to the podcasts and other video-focused things as well. So go and have a look at that. So until next time, so long.